Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost Today we're very excited to speak to Heather Morrison who is the co-founder of Handy with um, a colleague called Andrew Gerzer. They now have a team of OTs, engineers and industrial designers to collaborate to develop a range of sex toys for people with hand limitations. Um, The company is called Handy and they've got an amazing website called That's Handy and they've just brought out a great book. Um, Something that most of you probably don't know is that the World Health Organization has actually said that sexual pleasure is a human right and um, that's actually very difficult for people who have disability issues. And so hopefully Handy's going to resolve that problem. And so I'd like to introduce you to Heather. Hey, Heather. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. So, um, and, this, and you've met Joe. Yeah, we've briefly met Hello. Heather. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a really interesting, important topic to explore and talk about. So awesome. thanks for having me. Thank you. So I just thought there's a couple of questions that I wanted to ask. The most important thing was when was Handy founded? So Handy, so we've been on this road for about two years, um, but the we birthed the brand Handy into the world last May. Um, so we were making a little bit of noise unintentionally for um, in, in previous to, to that in terms of just looking for people to come on board with us and, and making sure that this was an idea that um, was far reaching and looking at how we would actually design the technology and the toys. Um, but we didn't actually launch the Handy brand until um, actually only just in May. Right. And what's your background? How did you come? Because you're an able-bodied person. So how did you become interested in this area? Yeah. So my background is um, advertising and innovation strategy, um, which has definitely come in handy. Uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but my, Andrew's my co-founder, but he's also my younger brother. Oh, um, and so he's got, um, he lives with cerebral palsy. Um, and uh, through his lived experience and his um, work as a disabled activist and disability activist, um, we came up with this idea uh, together. So it was really him sort of probably telling me more than most brothers and sisters relationships did and and also just having a bit of a line of sight on it because of the work that he does and and being an activist in not just the disability space but the sex and disability space Um, and just me getting a little bit more of a glimpse into what that reality and what that lived experience is like and being 
open enough with each other for me to be able to ask some probably pretty naive questions, but also questions that I think probably a lot of us do have um, and just don't necessarily have somebody who we can who we can ask. And so I was asking him a little bit about um, you know, dating and sexuality. And he had mentioned in one of his um, previous pieces of work that he really had struggled to self-pleasure and that that was something that was becoming increasingly difficult for him as he got older and as his muscles continued to um, become more and more uh, tight and spastic because he's got spastic CP. Um, And so I think very naively, well, it was a huge light bulb moment for me because I just, being able-bodied, I had never thought of that. Even growing up with a younger brother, it's not like you're constantly sitting around thinking about like, you know, their sex lives. If anything, you're trying not to think about this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting uh, actually, because when I studied to be a sexologist, it was the subject that in general practice I'd never come across um like a disabled yeah. person that and to discuss their sexology and sex sex life. And it wasn't until I studied sexology that that subject really came up. And it was the first time I'd even considered it. And I was like, wow, how come I've never even thought about this before? Yeah, exactly. And I think unless you've got that lived experience or you're close to somebody that has either because you're dating somebody or because they're um, in your life in some other way, it's not. It's just not something that we really necessarily think about. And so it was a huge light bulb moment for me. And then I very naively, I think my second naive question to him was, well, why can't you just use one of the like millions of sex toys that are on the market? Like surely there are so many of them, surely one of those will do the trick. And he kind of was like very polite, but at the same time, he's my brother. So not that polite. Um, he was like, you know, if I could use a sex toy, I would just masturbate. Like, yeah. Yeah. All the sex toys are small and fiddly and they've got little buttons that they need to, um, that you need to manipulate. And if he could use any of those and, and do that easily, then he'd just be able to masturbate. So it really comes down to the fact that his hand limitations don't allow him to, um, to masturbate and that's actually a problem that we found wasn't just um real from for him um but actually far-reaching both for the disabled community but also when you think of people who are aging um and other sort of different uh, lived experiences as well so even um looking at things like um injuries um and that kind of thing there's all sorts of things that can end up limiting your hand abilities that can mean that your actual access to um self-pleasure and exploration are um, limited and that's not just for you but also potentially partner play as well yeah exactly and I think it's interesting because probably Grace and um what's that tv program Grace with Jane Grace and Frankie they really kind of brought that to the forefront of aging didn't they you know like they talked about that in there and I think you had a question Joe. Oh, I was just really interested Heather and when you actually started having this conversation with your brother you said he's your younger brother so yeah, yeah how old how old was he when you started having the conversation? Um, I'm like oh the just do some quick math so he would have been 34 and I would have been 36. Okay yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. So he um, had he had, if you don't mind me asking, uh, the opportunity to be in relationships. Um, he's never had a um, he's never had a serious relationship, um, but he has had many um, sexual relationships, uh, either from people that he has um, dated but not seriously. Um, or people that he has picked up in bars. I think he's probably way braver than I am in that he will get dressed up back when we were allowed to go out to bars, um, yeah. go out to a bar, pick somebody up and yeah. like bring them home. And like, I've done that. Like I can count, it's like less than I can count on one hand. Whereas he, like 
you know, particularly it's hard for, I think any of us to do. And he, I was always just so amazed at his bravery to just kind of get over the fact that he's got such a visible disability. And that that's particularly because he's gay as well. The gay community can be so harsh and judgmental when it comes to body image, um, which is something that he's found definitely firsthand. And so I was always just so incredibly impressed his bravery and just kind of just go for it. Um, that, attitudes. He's never had a serious boyfriend, but he has had many partners. Well, I don't want to say many. He's had a number of partners. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that was my, my question because bravery, you know, springs to mind in that it's challenging conversations even amongst health professionals, let alone um, siblings. So um, a, a, a wonderful trust and relationship that you both must have with one another. So given uh, that you've started this about two years ago, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, adult-wise, let's just do some quick maths, at least say 16 years or so, um, struggling. Uh, he would have looked into what was available. And, yeah, that's the gap, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big gap. And so he, and he didn't just look into what was available, but because of his, so which he did, but because of his work, he was actually like sex toy companies send him stuff to review for them all the time. And he's like, oh, couldn't get out of the packaging guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now you're uh, working with um, some, you're working with Judith Glover, aren't you? Who is the yeah, lead PhD the of sex toys in the world. I met her um, at the Sexpo last year in February. Oh, yeah. um, she is. Just amazing. Yeah. So, my favorite people. how close are you to getting some products like on the market that people can use? Yeah. So, we are currently in prototyping phase. Um, one thing that nobody ever tells you so, there's this uh, well trodden adage in um, startup world that some um, hardware is hard, but nobody tells you about that until you're like way too far down the journey to go back. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't realize actually to bring physical product into the world, how much time and effort is actually involved. And then when you layer on top of that, a physical product that nobody, literally nobody in the world has ever designed for before, um, and is actually trying to be incredibly innovative, um, then that obviously increases the time that needs to go into it because you want to make sure at the end of the day, you're solving the problem and that people are coming first and you're testing the different designs, et cetera. Um, but I'm very excited to say that we are currently in the prototyping phase, which means that right now we are working with different manufacturers um, to be able to produce the first number of prototypes. Um, those prototypes will be tested again. So we are really, particularly because it's the way that I was uh, trained from an innovation perspective, but also it's also the way that um, Judith uh, works from an industrial design perspective and our design scene team in, incredibly consumer centric driven so everything that we do have and have done from the very beginning has been in guidance and in um, concert consultation with the disabled community every single step of the way so we would never go and produce a bunch of prototypes and then like test them with ourselves and then put on the market we will actually be working with the occupation and also all of the, um, as many people as we can get them into people's hands and bedrooms to be able to test them, to be able to give us that feedback back. And then we'll tweak the designs based on that feedback. So there's a whole bunch of things that we're actually looking for and that we haven't finalized in that design because we want to test that in the prototype to make sure that we're creating the very best final version that we have confidence is going to fit the bill for as many people as possible. It's kind of difficult too, though, isn't it? Because it's such a range of disabilities. 
Yeah, even even though we've narrowed it down to hand limitations, which we thought at the beginning, like, okay, like, we're not going after every disability, we'll go after the one that we know is the biggest barrier based on the research that we have done. Um, because if you don't have hand limitations, not to say that there aren't other limitations you might have, but that tends to be the biggest limitation to being able to self-pleasure or use what's already available. Um, and um, Sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. That's okay. We do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, just, um, just basically because of the the complexity of the various um, people that you're working oh, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, so there's just so, so many different... So even... So we, okay, great. We'll just focus on hand limitations. But that's yeah. like grip. It's dexterity. It's reach. Um, some people have tight muscles. Some people have loose muscles. It's pain. Um, it's aging. It's tremors. Actually, when you dig into that, it's quite a few like different things. And it's quite bad. So we know and have known from the very beginning that one toy will never, ever meet everyone's needs. But our job is to be really true to let's remove hands from the equation as much as we possibly can throughout the entire user experience with our product for everything from the ordering process to the um, arrival to unboxing to wow, using so it. Um, to yeah to, to storing it um, all of those things need to be considered and need to be considered through the lens of somebody that has limited hand function and hand mobility um, so it is quite quite a lot um, yeah. but we are making really amazing progress and all of it will be tested um, to make sure that again like we'll never hit 100% but this first toy will allow us to continue to do more work and more research so that the second toy can hit more people and ultimately we're just you know fulfilling our mission of putting pleasure within reach um, for the disabled community. It's interesting one of the um, stories in your book Candy which we'll talk a bit more about in a minute was a um, young woman who was saying how, you know, in order for her to masturbate, she actually needs to get her carer to set her up in a room, give her the toy, turn it on, and then leave her for however long it takes and then come back in again. And I just yeah. thought for an able-bodied person to actually think that, you know, you've actually got to tell somebody, like if you're a teenager, your parent oh, yeah. or your carer, hey, can you come and yeah. set me up? I feel like masturbating. It's a pretty yeah. confronting thing. You'd probably, <laughs> you'd probably just go, oh, I don't think I'll do it, wouldn't you? You know, like yeah. it's pretty scary. Exactly. Mm. Totally. And there's a certain amount of like, sh like, sh it depends, depends. you know, it ends up being you completely depend and rely on somebody else for your own personal um, exploration and pleasure and to be able to be in touch with that um, human right, which isn't, which isn't right. Um, and so you, like even so Andrew, for example, he goes through something very similar and he only has um, certain aides and certain carers who feel comfortable setting him up. So it's not part of their job mandate because there's such low awareness of the problem and it's not something that they're mm, people are trained yeah. for and everybody's yeah. worried about, you know, potentially um, some sort of like a sexual assault clause yeah. or a sexual assault mm. case. Um, and so you only, or they just think it's wrong and you're disabled and you're asexual and so you shouldn't be having sexual pleasure full stop. And so they're just not into it. And so first is to identify the people in your life who might be willing to help you and have that conversation. Awkward. <laughs> then yes. you're on their timetable. Yeah. So it's like, well, Jim works Tuesdays and Thursdays from like, you know, this time to that time. And I guess I'll schedule my <laughs> masturbation <laughs> session in and hope that I feel in the mood <laughs> at that point. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of times they do have to like take it out of the packaging for them when they're like, well, what's this, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, up and you're on like a time slot. So they're like, okay, great. I'll set you up and I'll come back in, you know, 10 minutes. And it's like, well, 
what if you can't get there in 10 minutes? And what if 10 minutes is not long enough? Or you're thinking I've only got 10 minutes and now you're you're stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just, it just, yeah, it's, it's so much things that as able-bodied people, you never think about like the freedom to just like come out of the shower, lay on your bed and go for it. Like, yeah. you just that. Um, and that's just, again, like these are all like light bulb moments for me because I had never Absolutely thought of them. Absolutely too, just listening, I'm just like, I totally spun out that, you know, I haven't thought to that depth or breadth myself about this. Yeah, but we, but we just don't because it's not in our, uh, in our experience. So a big part of my job is the more light bulb moments I can give to people in the same way that I had a couple of years ago that I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. There was something really interesting that I also read in the book, um, and I think it was your words, you said that you referred to yourself as temporarily able-bodied, and I thought that was a really great term. My assumption is that we all could become disabled at any time in our life because of accident, illness, or ageing, and that maybe we should all be much more aware of this because it might be our own situation. Is Is that the term, how you're referring to that term? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it wasn't actually, um, it was my, it wasn't my term. It was one of the, one of the people in the book and also somebody who's been on this journey from the beginning, um, who uh, is, is disabled and, and consults with us. And he called me a tab, um, like on one of our sessions. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's temporarily able-bodied. And I was like, oh, very good. Yeah. yeah. Touche. Um, and so he's so right. And you're so right in that it's, um, none of us knows what tomorrow has in store for us and the older we get even if we live a very charmed life and we manage to avoid injury illness or um or disability we we won't we won't likely um avoid aging and with aging definitely specifically when it comes to your hands it's probably something that's like even my mom who's about 67 she's got like hand issues now where she's got like trigger finger and she's like on the verge of you know starting to go down the arthritis route and that's really scary, but it's also, it could happen to any of us at any given time. And so I've said this a few times in that, like, this isn't a totally selfless endeavor for me. Securing <laughs> um, <laughs> my future orgasms. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> <solve> this problem. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Heather, uh, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the concept behind the book. So the book's called The Handy Book of Love, Lust and Disability. And yeah. It's, I'm holding it in my hands. It's an awesome text. And could I just get you to give us a little bit more background as to what and why it's all about? Yeah, totally. Um, as we were talking to people uh, last year, we realized that there was a lot of questions and curiosity around um, the topic of sex and disability, not just from the disabled community, but from everybody. So Andrew will is regularly cornered in lifts and in random places by able-bodied people who who have all sorts of inappropriate because of the time mm-hmm. and place questions about his sexuality. <laughs> we're like, great, we're in an elevator together. Now is the time for me to ask if you can have sex. So we knew there was a lot of questions around it, but we also knew from talking to people in the disabled community that there was a lot of um, feelings of isolation and potentially even feelings of shame because there hasn't hadn't been a, a lot of open dialogue in and around the topic of their sexuality. And quite often, people with disabilities are told from a young age that they should be non-sexual or they're they're asexual. But then around the time that they hit puberty, just like the rest of us, they're having sexual feelings, and that actually creates a really like combative discourse in their heads, and that can result in a lot of sort of feelings of those that isolation mm. and, and that shame. Um, and that sort of lack of community as well. Yeah. And so 
we also looked at what was available out there from a text perspective. And there is quite a bit of content that you can look into that you can find around sex and disability, but it all kind of stops and starts with the physical, um, with, you know, how do you have sex? Um, what kind of positions could work? And that's great. And it's really important that that kind of stuff does exist. Um, but what didn't seem to exist, what we couldn't find was anything that kind of got into things on a more human level. And that actually looked at sex and disability through the lens of people with disabilities being like people <laughs> mm. um, and actually explored their feelings around dating and their feelings around sexuality and that started to underpick and get under the skin of more of that sort of human sentiment um, and kind of leaving the mechanics of it behind and so that's what we attempted to do. Um, we knew because it was such rich topics um, and so many like different rich topic areas that no one person should be responsible for creating that text and that the best way of, of pulling this together was to actually look for disabled collaborators around the world and contributors um, and we were so incredibly like lucky and humbled to have 50 just amazing and inspiring and incredibly brave people um, globally come forward and say you know this is something that's been near and dear to my heart and I've never talked about this a lot of people have never talked about this stuff with anybody before and for them to do that to answer these kinds of questions around like the my best dating my best sexual experience my worst sexual experience um you know coming out as a disabled person um and really owning my disability and I know what that means from a body image pers perspective and to, to bear all of that um for the first time in print or in art is pretty incredibly brave and we were just so humbled um and I couldn't get through it without crying um I just the weight of it in terms of when we saw it at the end of what we've been able to achieve was I think just in and of itself quite important and beautiful. Um, and then every single dollar that we raise through selling the book uh, goes directly into funding the toys. Um, because as I mentioned before, it ain't cheap. <laughs> it ain't cheap and it's hard to get the hardware going. I just wanted to raise just one, just one um, because we, we talk a lot of P topics, just one little quote from one, one of your collaborators, contributors, Pansy. Being disabled defines me, of course. I wouldn't say it's good or bad but it shapes how I experience the world. I do burlesque and my wheelchair has very much become part of my movement in that. So it's definitely part of how I see myself being sexy too. And that's um, from Pansy. And just that, that simple little story really resonated me because I was, I come from a bit of a dance background myself and it just, you know, it just spoke of ownership and, and positivity and, and um, sort of, you know, it was just so refreshing. So where did you and how did you recruit these stories? Yeah, so um, I won't take credit for, for most of that, actually. I had the genius idea of we should write a book, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'll be <laughs> then I was off to the next thing. Um, but then I've been able, I've been just so lucky to work with some beautiful humans um, and actually COVID kind of helped because all of a sudden these incredibly talented, beautiful humans had all this extra time on their hands. Yeah. Um, so the people on the front of the book um, who are Just Harpy, uh, Andrew Gerza, my brother and co-founder and uh, Katie uh, Venables, they are responsible for um, actually really pulling this book together, identifying the topic areas based on their lived experience and what we've been hearing from talking to other people. Um, and then basically lucky being lucky enough to have um, you know people who are already tapped into their respective disabled communities. Um, but then the team also put the word out and did 
just deep digging into looking into people who are being vocal around this topic in social media, people who are already talking about it or who we think would have a really interesting um, point of view and different point of view, being really careful and conscious that we wanted a variety of different disabilities, both visible and invisible, um, a variety of different backgrounds, of a, a variety of just different experiences that could lend themselves to being able to really start cracking these topics wide open um, in different ways. So even Andrew, who obviously has, you know, done a lot of work in this space. Um, he reading through it, it was like, I learned so much about what people go through who have different disabilities to me. Um, and it's opened his eyes so much. And I think the fact that we can open up everybody's eyes and change everyone's perspectives and build empathy across both the able-bodied and disabled community, but also within those communities is pretty special. So where, where and how do people get hold of your book? Yeah, so you can head to, um, so that's handy, which is handywithaneye.co. Um, and on that site, uh, our book is for sale there. It's, a, it's available in physical copy, um, which is beautifully illustrated and, and graphically designed um, by Dandy Doodles did all the illustrations that so she's a disabled illustrator and just incredibly talented. Um, and then we've been able to work with some incredible, um, incredibly talented designers as well. So I think you guys have the book in your hand, but it's like a piece of work, art, artwork. It's oh, it absolutely is. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. And I've also listened to the audio book. I was driving in the oh, country, yeah. so I listened to the audio book and I loved that too because it was quite nice to hear the inflection of the voices. Like, yeah, it was yeah. Really, yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, and then we've also got it in audio version, as you mentioned, and also mm -hmm. ebooks, just trying to make sure it's as accessible as possible. Yeah, it is. It, when I when the actual copy arrived, I was kind of really glad that I because after I listened to the audio book, I thought I probably didn't need the hard copy, but it's such a beautiful book that yeah, I'm really yeah. happy. Um, okay. one thing in particular that really struck me, I loved the chapter on sex workers, um, yeah. because I feel like that's something that is a real taboo subject in our society, and I have the utmost respect for sex workers. And um, I love this bit at the very beginning where you say, we absolutely endorse sex work as a legitimate career choice and have nothing but respect for those who choose to do it and those who engage to pay them fairly. Um, and I just love that because I recently saw a gentleman who's in his early 30s who's in a um, nasty accident and, you know, he was talking to me about the, the difficulties. You know, he's on a disability pension. How do you pay a sex worker but it's his only opportunity for sexual release? And... You know, um, we were, he's funded by NDIS and, you know, it doesn't cover those things. So I'm hoping that maybe with you opening up this conversation, this might be a wider topic for people. Yeah, absolutely. And it is something that so many people do rely on. Andrew does. And, and COVID has been really hard for people who rely on sex workers for that sexual release and also that physical touch for obvious reasons. Like, and, and many people with disabilities are, um, uh, even more susceptible to COVID and higher risk parts of the community. So they're like, Andrew's really decreased the number of people who are coming into his home. And I know that that's true for many people with disabilities. Um, and so not having access to that is yeah huge right now um, for him. And it just definitely goes to increase feelings of loneliness and all of those things. So we're a huge supporter of that work. Um, and Andrew has been talking about that for a long time. Um, and But then hopefully by being able to provide access to things like um, toys that are more accessible, um, we can start to bridge 
giving people different options for sexual release, but then also, yeah, to your point, um, ensuring that these types of products and services are covered by the NDIS because ultimately it is a human right and those should, things should always be respected by, um, by coverage. Mm. So back to the funding food, because this is an amazing. Oh, that was my question too. Okay, we'll let Joe ask. No, that no, no. You <laughs> um, apart from selling the book, how else do you get funded? I know you've partnered with a few organisations. Yeah, we've been really um, lucky. The whole journey, we've had so many like amazing people come forward, and and then just as we think we're about to run out of money, well, <laughs> something will happen, and suddenly we can live to see another day. Um, but we were part of the remarkable tech. Um, Accelerator last year, which is an incredible um, accelerator course uh, for startups working specifically for for people with disabilities. So anything to do with um, the dis disabled community, you're able to apply. And so we were able to get a bit of money um, to fund that. We did do a crowdfunding campaign back in the very beginning um, to help fund the initial research with Judith Glover and RMIT. Um, and then more recently, we won a, um, a grant through the guys at Wheels in Motion out of, um, out of Melbourne. Um, they do it in Power Awards. This was the first uh, year and we were able to win that, which was incredible. Wow. Um, so yeah. we've been really fortunate to keep sort of plugging along, but we are opening a proper raise um now <laughs> um yeah. and starting to go out to uh, uh vcs and and angels for a proper raise to be able to get through um uh product development and then into manufacturing and which people is can donate on your website too can't they so anyone who's yeah, listening you you can, yeah you can buy a book or you can donate on our website at thatshandy.co and what about the partnership with love honey how, do, how does that work for you yeah, so that is a new partnership just announced last year. Um, they are going to be incredibly instrumental from a product development perspective in that they've got lots of experience developing products, um, decades of experience developing these kinds of products, and also um, really great relationships from a manufacturing standpoint that we can leverage. It's a lot different going to a manufacturer when you're like one small little startup versus being under the umbrella of somebody like a Love Honey. You have a lot more leverage. Um, and they're just incredibly passionate about um about this project or this sort of avenue as well. Um, and so their hearts are definitely in the right place um, and they're able to sort of back that up, back us up by aid, uh, lending their um, support from a product development standpoint and well as expertise. Um, and then obviously the relationships and distribution later down the line. Wonderful. And do you, do you have any sort of timeframe um, potential of when, when the first product might become available? I know that's a bit of a tricky question, but. Um, oh, that's okay. We, um, May is Masturbation Month internationally, so <laughs> mark your calendars, lady, if they're not already. Masturbation Month. Masturbation <laughs> Month in May. And don't forget there's, um, what is it, International Blowjob Day on the 14th of March. I always like that oh, one. Oh, great. So that's coming up. That's <laughs> yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. That's pretty more something for guys to mark their calendars, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we in a perfect world um, where COVID doesn't completely um, override our plans, which already it has kind of reared its head from a logistics perspective, uh, we, will, we, will, we would love to be able to start shipping in May. Real, realistically, whether or not that's possible now, we're not sure, um, but that's what we're aiming for, and it's good to have goals. <laughs> so we're mm. going to keep driving hard that, that so that we are able to hopefully have um, shipment in H1. And, and would that be that um, available to both sexes? Is it is it it's a universal product? I would imagine. Yeah, it's called the Handy Joystick, and the what we love about it, and one of the reasons that we chose it to move forward with, because we did have quite a few concepts that we tested, is that because of the way that it 
um, is designed, it would be fit for both um, people with male and female genitalia. Mm -hmm. um, but um, at point of purchase, you swap out the middle section depending on which uh, which is your preference. Okay, Great. and it's called it's going to be called the handy joystick. The handy joystick. So it's something mm -hmm. that will be able to launch to um, both sexes um, from the get go. Great name. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I think there's going to be a lot of crossover for our own po patient populations as well, potentially too. Yeah, so. because our main patient population is aging, aren't they? So, oh. well, <laughs> a range a range of yeah. um, cancers and various things that lead to you know difficulty with um, sexual functions anyway. But uh, yeah, I think it's just just such a an important and invigorating conversation to have. Uh, yeah. So Heather, thank you. I know you've had a long day and um, we've already kept you going for a while. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about or that we haven't asked, you haven't mentioned that you'd like people to know? Uh, I think generally this has been an awesome conversation. I think you guys have been like super thorough and given me a pretty good mouthpiece. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you've got um, patients or, or sorry, clients or people that you work with that you think would benefit, we, because we're going into a testing phase soon, like if you guys would like to be across that journey, provide feedback, we work with a lot of occupational therapists and other people who see people within that, within this space. Um, and we're always looking for more people who are obviously like, Come from coming from the right place, share our belief systems and would want to be involved. So happy to keep you guys looped in um, and see if we can't keep working together because that would be wonderful. Yeah. Is, is totally in our line of sight as well. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have people contact us from just listening to the podcast and yeah. then we'll be able to continue that referral relationship. So yes, but we are looking for tests. We will be looking for testers. Test, <laughs> test pilots. Well, I'm sure we can find you some test pilots. Okay, yeah. I've got one person in mind already. I've got about three. There you go. It's great. So definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much, Heather. We really Thank appreciate you so chatting to us. Awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joey. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days